Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to listen to one of the most interesting podcasts on the air anywhere in the free world. We call this podcast Hitting the Mark. My name is Ray Carr, along with Cindy Verbalin, and the star of our show, Jeffrey Mark. We call this podcast Hitting the Mark. Our star, Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Ouch, don't hit me, don't hit me. Hey, today we're going to have a ball, and it's my pleasure to salute my dear buddy Peter Marshall on his 95th birthday celebration. So we're going to be a part of all of us celebrating Peter and his 95th birthday. That is just so cool. Um, those of you who are a fan of Peter's, whether you're a fan of his music, because he's the best boy crewman there ever was, or you are a fan of his nightclub act, or you remember, he was the original master of the Hollywood Squares. However you remember him, there is so much to him. And just let me umbrella all of this. He is one of the most nice, genuine people I have ever known. He says what he means. He means what he says. Enormously, enormously thoughtful, handsome, a wonderful husband, a wonderful father and a wonderful, wonderful friend. Yeah, really, he was born uh, Ralph Pierre Lecoq in, um, in uh, West Virginia, of all places. And um, Marshall, a lot of people thought that, you know, Marshall University is, is in Huntington, West Virginia. They thought he got the name from that, but actually it was not. It was given to him by John Robert Powers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Peter, you know, Peter, Peter's show business lineage goes back so far. First of all, he grows up with Soupy Sands. So it's like, wow, there's one connection in show business right there. Then his, his sister, Joanne Drew, becomes this great big movie star who marries a boy crooner. So Peter's a teenager and he's already in the thick of it. He's already watching films being made. He's watching his brother-in-law perform for audiences and record in the studio. He got a brilliant show business education just by being related to the right people. Yeah, it's, it's quite amazing. You know, we're going to jump ahead just a little bit to the Hollywood Squares, which began in 1966. And I believe, if I remember correctly, Burt Parks did the pilot for that. And they wanted, um, I think Maury Amsterdam got Peter the job to do that. Is that correct? More or less. They, they came up with the idea for the show and they, they really had a problem finding the proper host and they had trouble finding the proper celebrities to be on, the proper stars. Hello, stars. Because like all good game shows on television that include celebrities, if the celebrities aren't humorous, the game gets kind of dull. But if the celebrities are only funny and they don't actually play the game to win, the game falls apart and the poor contestants are left holding the bag, not winning it. And they needed someone who could be handsome and charming, but also who knew how to control comedians and who knew how to bring out from actors and actresses who perhaps weren't natural comedians, their personalities. Peter had been part of a duo, Noonan and Marsha, where he was the straight man for Tommy Noonan. And Peter was a brilliant straight man. 
a straight man, meaning the guy who sets up the jokes for the comedian, right. keeps the pace going, makes sure that the comedian doesn't go too far afield of the material. He was brilliant at it, besides the singing and the good looks and all that jazz. And they, they originally, I believe, were interested in Dan Rowan. And like nobody wanted Dan Rowan for that. Then they did a pilot with Bert Parks. Now, I've never met Bert Parks, a nice Jewish boy. But basically, you only know him from the Miss America pageant and hosting game shows. And that ended in the 1970s. Bert is the dictionary standard for the word unctuous. He's almost like Ted Baxter from the Mary Tyler Moore show. He's so concerned with how he looks and the sound of his voice and being charming. And, and here we go, folks, that he wasn't, he, did, he just didn't have the talent to interact with all these nine celebrities and then two contestants and keep them straight. It just didn't work. Yeah. It was kind of robotic, you know. The show worked, the game worked, but Bird did. So they brought in Peter. Now, interesting, you mentioned Maury Amsterdam. Maury was not good on the show. There were certain comedians, especially in the early years of, of Hollywood Squares, that they came on thinking that they were there to do material from the nightclub actors or to tell joking jokes. And Peter would start to ask a question and they'd start doing material. Or he'd ask a question, they'd start to answer it and thought they had five minutes as long as they were funny. And Peter had to learn to step on them. It's like, hey buddy, hey guy, hey Maury, this person here wants to earn some money. If you don't shut up, they can't make any. And he had, <laughs> no seriously, he had to step on the stars because there were people like Maury, <laughs> Milton Burrow, a few others like that. Not that they weren't bringing people, and Milton was a friend. We talked about Milton, but they didn't quite get the concept. So they had to actually play the game. Sooner or later, they had to give a real answer so we can get on, and the person could possibly get an X or an O and maybe win a game. Again, Peter was brilliant at that. Peter was very involved in the show. He wasn't just the handsome host, he was very, very involved. And uh, Likewise, what they did with he and Paul Lynn. Paul Lynn became the center square after a while. Paul had a one-of-a-kind, unique delivery. Unfortunately, it was Alice Ghostly's delivery, but he stole it and made it his own and had a whole big career talking like this, and uh, which was Alice. What they did was, so this, this is the secret of how Paul Lynn was always so funny on the high. Where Peter sat, he had a little miniature version of the great big tic-tac-toe thing at the bottom. And there were different questions for different people because they wrote the questions towards the personalities of the stars, hoping they could be humorous. Sometimes the stars were told, uh, think about uh, Lincoln Continentals, or think about the depression, or think about hollandaise sauce. They'd give them clues to like, think of something you, you might say humorous about this because it might come up. Very occasionally the stars were actually given comedy answers. If they just had no sense of humor of their own, they were given something to say. 
in Paul Lin's case, he was blind. Oh, we have a Paul Lin question here. Remember Peter saying that. Peter would read the question. He'd never seen the question before. He'd read the question. Paul had never heard the question. But on his desk in front of him was a sheet of paper. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. With a comedy answer. So Peter would say, Paul, why do motorcycle riders wear leather? And Paul would look down and, he, and he'd laugh. Go, ah, because he's seeing the answer for the first time. Because chiffon wrinkles would be what they wrote. <laughs> Paul, why do butchers beat their meat? <laughs> because they're lonely. <laughs> and this got on network television. I mean, it wasn't censored because it was so obvious of the moment and um, humorous. But that's how they kept it going for so many years. And sometimes Paul looked at it and didn't think it was very funny and came up with something else that was even funnier. Yeah. It stopped the show. But you have to have the right kind of guy hosting it. And... Yeah. Yeah. Peter, you know, Peter didn't just materialize out of thin air to host this show. We have, we, we, you kind of jumped ahead. So he's, he's a big band singer. He is half of a comedy duo all through the 1950s. His partner goes on to be a major actor in Hollywood who does comedy parts in musicals. He gets another comedian guy named Tommy to be his partner. They continue. And then Peter starts doing stage work. Peter was on Broadway several times. Peter did uh, Bye Bye Birdie in London. He and Cheetah Rivera opened the show in London. Dick didn't go. Dick Van Dyke didn't go because the Dick Van Dyke show started. So, you know, there's a, there's a cast album in London with Peter on it. Peter did Skyscraper in New York. Uh, Peter eventually did La Caja Fall in New York. So he was a very seasoned nightclub performer, actor, Broadway guy. He had a career. Interestingly, what brought him to the attention of the producers was a Kellogg's cornflakes commercial he did. They saw him and went, wow, he's so friendly. He's just the type of guy we're looking for. Because game show hosts back in the 1960s, they weren't looking for a muscle guy who was, you know, they were looking for somebody the ladies at home could relate to and enjoy. Friendliness was important comfort. They were still thinking in terms of we're bringing this into people's living rooms. You can't be too abrasive. You can't be too over the top. It's too much. So, so Peter really, really, really fit in. And th then they began to shake down the celebrities so that they, they knew Rosemary was wonderful. They knew that Joan Rivers would not eclipse the game. She got it. And she had her own material. They didn't have to prepare for they brought in actors, whoever happened to be on television in a series or had a new movie coming out. They brought in people who maybe their biggest day in Hollywood had, had already come and gone. But people like Ginger Rogers, Carol Channing, Paul Bailey, Ethel Merman, who, who were big enough names to go, oh, wow, look who's there, but maybe weren't the biggest star at the moment. And it was constantly rotating. They had their regulars, Wally Cox and Paul Lind and Rose Marie. Uh, 
for a while. Um, there are two or three others who just were almost always there, and the rest were visitors who were rotated around. <clears throat> yeah. Charlie but, Weaver, I think, was one, Charlie, wasn't Yeah, Charlie Weaver. Well, was let's not forget George Goble. George Goble replaced Charlie when he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Charlie himself sired an entire show business dynasty because Charlie Weaver wasn't his real name. Yeah. Well, you know, on the album that I have in front of me right now, we have um, George Goldblum and Charlie Weaver on the same show, which is interesting. Um, and another one, Tony Fields was on here. All the comedians did the show, one time or another. Everybody who was affiliated the show, all the big names, Buddy Hackett did the show. Buddy was another one they had trouble controlling. He didn't understand to keep his mouth shut. And I'm not just saying this because I disliked him personally. But uh, he just didn't know how to play the game. He didn't know how to keep it under control. Jan Murray did the show a lot. Uh, Joy Bishop did the show a lot. It was a good place to go. Uh, yeah, you had to put on some makeup. And you had to wear a nice shirt. All you needed was a shirt. You could be in your underwear. They didn't know the difference. And uh, got a nice payday for doing five shows in a row. Plus, they gave you a gourmet dinner and all the liquor you could drink. So the shows on Friday were wild because everybody was drinking by that point. It's not Peter, but the celebrities were. And yeah. the, the, the fur would fly on Fridays. You're listening to Hitting the Mark. My name is Ray Carr, along with Cindy Verblin and the star of our show, Jeffrey Mark. 